Hey, as we start this new season of the fall, we actually are doing a new sermon series over the next few weeks called Beautiful, Disappointing, Hopeful. Now, why these three words? It's because as we talk about kind of the Christian faith, and maybe you're someone who's new to the Christian faith, or maybe you're someone who's making your way back, or maybe you're someone who's been so scarred by Christians, but somehow you heard that this community was at least a little bit nice or something, and you decided to come and, and to church today, um, we thought it'd be appropriate for us to start this season talking about what is the Christian story all about? And it can really be encapsulated in these three words, beautiful, disappointing, and hopeful. In many ways, these three words also capture the sum of our human experience. Um, but when it comes down to it, like most people, uh, especially outside of the church, they have this belief that Christians or the Christian story, it's just a fable or a myth. It's something that people cling to for some sort of social crutch. And yet here's what we believe as Christians. We believe it's actually a true story centered around someone named Jesus and that these words, beautiful, disappointing, hopeful, is what centers us and anchors us in the Christian story. Now, I know for myself in my own journey, when it comes down to it, like why do I even follow this Jesus person? Well, first, I think it, it, it's because I believe Jesus is true. And I think that's a question that each one of us wrestle with at different times. Is this actually true? Now, here's the thing. I know that some people might have this idea that, oh, Christians just blindly follow this thing that makes no sense and is not true. But actually, the question of is Christianity true is a very relevant one. Is this something that is worth believing in and that is um, truthful? But also, the second question is this. Is Christianity compelling? Aside from being true, does it make sense for my own life? And does it have any meaning for me whereby it can help me make sense of the world that I live in, as well as give me the resources that I need to continue in life with all the ups and downs that I go through? And it's with these questions in mind that I'd love for us to look at this passage that was read for us. Because the passage that was read for us in John chapter 6 is this moment where Jesus, again, the central figure of the Christian faith, is teaching. And there's this exchange that he has with one of his disciples named Simon Peter. Now, before we get into the text, I thought I'd set a little bit of the scene, though, of what's happened up to this point. You see, Jesus has already proven himself to be this incredible miracle worker. He's opened the eyes of the blind. He's turned water into wine. Some of you are like, that's a cool miracle. Um, he's done some incredible work already. He's taught with great authority. And right preceding this moment, he's actually fed the 5,000 uh, with five loaves of bread and two fish. Somehow this meal gets multiplied uh, to feed 5,000. Some scholars actually estimate it's more likely to be 15,000 to 20,000 because that initial count was just the men in the audience. So you could imagine there's throngs and crowds of people that are following Jesus. Jesus is like a bona fide rock star. He's got crowds of people around him, thousands of people. Who, why? Because they were fed, and they were fed to their full. And so as a result, they're like, ah, oh, Jesus, do it again. And in fact, there's this moment in John chapter 6 where they're basically like, he, you know, he basically says they're coming because they want more bread and more fish. They want to see another miracle. Now, of course, if I were someone in the crowd, uh, I would probably be doing the same thing. Uh, my, I am notorious. My wife tells me, like, whenever there's, like, filming happening around the city or somewhere, like, I just to get a glimpse of, like, what's going on here? Is there a celebrity or an athlete or something that I can see in living in New York? Um, and then my wife's like, stop it. Just stop. Um, but that's kind of, I mean, so... Uh, hey, I'm the same way. I would be all over Jesus, like wanting to see what he was going to do next. 
It makes sense why people would want to follow him. And here's what ends up happening, though, in, in chapter 6. Jesus begins to give hard teachings about what it means to follow him. He starts using metaphors and allegorical language. He's talking about how following him would entail like eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Now, these kinds of metaphors, though, he's talking about the sacrifice of what it means to follow him. So people are just like, they're appalled that Jesus would give such hard teachings and give it in such a manner when, if you think about it, his influence rating... The momentum of basically his influence status, his followership on social media and everywhere else, it's at an all-time high. Like he's hit the ultimate viral moment with this feeding of the 5,000. And then of all things for Jesus to do, he's going to drop this like really strange and hard teaching to the disciples. Now, if I were Jesus, I would not do that. Because I would think, especially in a city like New York, geez, this is your time to maximize your popularity. And the way you maximize it is right now. This is the moment where you're basically going to do another miracle. Let's take this viral moment and let's have it go even more viral. But instead, Jesus gives his hard teaching. Now, look at what it says. Here's what it says. It says, on hearing it, many of his disciples, they were puzzled. And so they said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept this? And look at what Jesus says. Jesus, aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and of life. He's basically making the statement like, this is a truthful saying that I'm talking about. And look what he says. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. And, and look at what happens. It says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Now, I'm like, Jesus, what are you doing? Are you serious? Like, there's this massive crowd. You've done this miracle. Your popularity is at an all-time high. Now people start to leave. Now look at what Jesus does. Check this out. Uh, he asks this question, if we can go to the next slide. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Now, some translations, they basically say, Jesus basically asks the questions, do you want to leave too? Here's what's so stunning to me, is that Jesus is asking a question an open-ended question to his disciples. Now, if I were Jesus, thank God that I'm not. If I were Jesus, this is what I'd be like, as people are, I mean, can you imagine? Like, this is what insecure Drew would do, right? I'm super insecure. I see all these people leaving. I've given this hard teaching. I'd basically be like, hey, you guys, you guys, can you go get them? Like, get them to come back. Give them some, like, monthly pizza and popcorn outside or something. Like, make them... You just get them to come back. Or, or I would basically see these crowds leaving. I'd be like, guys, 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 listen, listen. The, the hard teachings, these are some hard teachings. But listen, let me tell you. There's actually some really great things about the love. God's love is My love for you is amazing. In fact, I'm going to die for you one day. You don't have to leave right now. I'd be so insecure that I'd want these people to come back. And moreover, this is what I would say to the disciples. I'd, be, I'd look at them and I'd be like, Hey, I know everyone else is leaving. You better not leave. Like, I've invested in you guys. Right? This territorial, insecure part of me. I'm looking at this moment. I'm like, Jesus, what in the world are you doing? And yet there's something stunning 
about the fact that Jesus is asking this question, and he's basically like, hey, do you guys want to leave too? Do you want to leave too? Now, here's what's revealing about Jesus. It's this. It's that faith is always an invitation. It's not an imposition. Jesus is not inflicting himself upon people that don't want to follow him. He's not forcing people to do it like I would have done to the disciples. Instead, he invites them. He gives them an out. Why? Because this is what faith is. Faith is inherently an invitation. It's not an imposition. Now, any kind of relational dynamic, this is true, right? Have you ever been in a relationship with someone where it was kind of forced? It was like, you know, they're forcing something or they're forcing you to love them, right? Or like, um, any teenagers know what I'm talking about? No, I'm just kidding, teenagers. Uh, Parents of teenagers know what I'm talking about, right? Like, I I remember actually going to, um, when I was single and I was, um, I went to a family friend and they were a family here in the city that had 12 kids. And so... Like, I remember meeting with this family, and I really loved this family, and I loved, um, and no twins, and they were just all natural birth, and they lived here. And I was like, I want to learn from you, hang out with you. And when I was there, um, again, insecure Drew, I just, I wanted all the kids to like me. And so I came, I came bearing gifts, and I was trying to play games with them and all this stuff. And then at one point, the dad, he actually, he says, hey, Drew, can I talk to you real quick? I'm like, yeah, sure. He calls me over, and so, like, I, <laughs> I come over, and he basically says, hey, Drew, I just want you to know, um, you're trying too hard. <laughs> like, my kids probably, even my two-year-old can read this from, like, a mile away. You're trying too hard. You're trying to, you're trying to make them like you, and don't do that. Like, just be yourself. Relationships can't be forced. I mean, isn't it true? Isn't it true? And one of the most refreshing, dignifying things about Jesus is that he's not forcing anyone. In fact, he's asking them, do you want to leave too? Why? Because faith is an invitation. It's not an imposition. Now, here's the thing. I realize that many of us in this room, like, I don't know what brought you here today. Maybe it's because there's someone you have a crush on and you're like, oh, maybe I'll get to see them. Or maybe there's someone that I could have a crush on. (laughs) Or maybe it's just, oh, I I just know that my parents are going to be nagging me from California to somehow go to church. And so I'll slip in halfway through the service as if no one noticed. I noticed. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) Right? Like there's, like whatever the motivations might have been for you to be here. I mean, here's the thing about Jesus, and especially in a city like ours, where, I mean, let's be honest, we live in a city that we have the best brunches in the world. You know what I'm talking about? We've got the best musical theater in the world. We've got the best chocolate chip cookies in the world. We've got the best music, the best art. Why are we here? Some of you are like, you're right, I'm going to leave right now. (laughs) Um, I would like to think that it's because there, there's at least this, this small, ever so mustard seed-like of a desire 
believe that God is really true and that Jesus is compelling. Whatever brought you to this space today, if we could just cut through everything, like cut through all the reasons that somehow you braved the rain and the storm to be here. And what if, what if it was an invitation for you to meet the living God, to meet Jesus? And one of the most beautiful things about Jesus is he honors you enough where he's not going to force you. He's not going to force you to be part of in a relationship with him. He's going to invite you. Because faith, like any relationship, is an invitation. It's not an imposition. And here Jesus, he's just inviting us. He'll give you an out. You can take it or leave it. He's not going to shy away from the truth of who he is. But he loves you enough that he would give you the truth and he would want to invite you to that truth. Now, here's what's stunning. Check this out. Look at Peter's response. Look at what happens. He, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. You know, one of the things that it stuns me about this is Simon Peter basically, he, he doesn't say, Jesus, I am yours. You are worthy. You are the most truthful. You are the most compelling. He's basically like, Jesus, listen, you're probably the best option out of all these bad options. You know, he's like, listen, to whom else, where else am I going to go? I mean, that's essentially what he's saying. And I can imagine for Simon Peter, who's grown up in his own context of searching for life, meaning, hope, purpose, all of these things, He's been searching, and he, what he realizes, he's come to a place where he's been found wanting. There have been so many versions of what is the good life, what is eternal life, what is truthful and meaningful. I mean, it's the same in this city, isn't it? There's so many versions that we've been handed. Whatever your religious background might be, so many versions of what is the good life. The good life is making all sorts of money and advancing in your career and becoming someone, being a person of influence, uh, whether it's with money, power, whatever it might be, or social media, there's all sorts of versions of what is the good life, what is eternal life. And Simon Peter has come to a place where he's basically like, Jesus, listen, to whom shall we go? I've been searching and been left wanting. You alone have the words of eternal life. In other words, Jesus, you are the one who I found to be the most true and the most compelling. Uh, when I was growing up, yeah, well, actually, when I talk to people and I tell them that I'm a pastor, um, I, have to, I have to be ready, especially in a secular city like New York. Like People are like, you know, I have to brace myself for how people will respond. And then I tell them I'm a pastor, and they say, oh, did you grow up believing this or in church? And I say, yes, I did. And then people are like, see, that's why you're a pastor, of course. You grew up with it. And then I end up telling them, actually, so the church that I grew up in, so I was born to first-generation Korean immigrants in Los Angeles. Uh, and so a lot of Korean immigrants during that time went to church. It was just part of what we did. And the church that I grew up in, it had these awful church splits that I've talked about before, like legit fistfights that would happen between different factions at the church. 
And so there were these awful, terrible church splits that the LAPD had to come and break up at times. Now, our church actually had three different church splits by the time I was 12 years old. So a lot of the kids that I grew up going to church with uh, no longer attend church anymore because they grew up in that church environment. So I often tell people, listen, I'm not a Christian because I grew up going to church. I'm a Christian despite growing up going to church. But moreover, my father, um, and I've, I've talked about my background with my dad. My dad was someone who's incredibly violent towards us and to my mom. And so we desperately wanted my, my mom to leave my dad. And my father, though, he worked in air conditioning and refrigeration, worked that immigrant hustle. Uh, when we were in middle school, he switched careers and he became a pastor. Now, he became a pastor, but for us, his behavior at home didn't change very much. So it was so jarring because we're like, well, you're a pastor now? Like, what about following Jesus? Like, what about, what about being kind to people? What about, you know, and so we're, we're so puzzled by this. My father ends up uh, writing a few books, and he ends up becoming a Korean Christian celebrity. And the topic that he would write on is how to raise a family. So you can imagine, it's like, so I've got, like, I've, I've had a lot of therapy sessions in my life, you know? Like, I've, I've gone through a lot. But it, it really caused me to wrestle with, like, oh, my goodness, everything inside of me wanted to not follow Jesus. So when I started going to university, I just realized, like, oh, my goodness, this is my first time to investigate whether I really want to believe this or not. And every single part of me didn't want to believe it because of the woundedness and pain and baggage I felt. And so I remember taking classes on the Bible as literature, uh, reading about whether the Bible was something that could be relied on. Um, I I took classes on religious studies, was reading sacred texts from various different religions and religious backgrounds. I was reading ancient philosophy as well as postmodern philosophy, just searching and hungering for truth, for life. And I remember during that time, I would also be reading the gospel accounts, the stories of Jesus. And I was actually, in particular, reading this passage. I remember reading these words from Simon Peter. Listen, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And I remember crying in my dorm room and saying, Jesus, I just, I want to follow you. There's so many things that I don't want to follow that's been associated with my life, with you. But when it comes down to it, Jesus, you are the one that I want to follow. To whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. If I were to ask myself this question, is Christianity true? I found it to be true. Is Christianity compelling? I found it to be compelling. And if anything, the way that I believed about love and forgiveness and justice and kindness, and peace, and hope. I found it to be both true and compelling. You know, there are four experiences that human beings all, at one point or another, experience, go through, and have questions about. Whether you're religious or you're not, the four experiences are suffering, death, love, and infinity. And maybe they're not experiences, but they're questions that we have about it. 
what do we do with suffering? What happens after I die? What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, um, I, I know what you're thinking. Infinity, eternity. Now, here's the thing. Whether you're a Christian or you're not, every human being has to wrestle with this question, these questions. So even if people might say, well, as a Christian, how can you believe in a good God when bad things happen? I can share with you what I believe about the Christian story of beautiful, disappointing, hopeful. What do you believe about what to do with suffering? Why? Because suffering and difficulty and death and love and heartbreak and infinity, these are questions that all of us as human beings experience at times. And the question is, what gives us the mental furniture as well as the heart capacity to be able to cope in life, to make sense of the world that we live in. Now, this sermon series that we're going to be exploring over the next few weeks is how the Christian story of beautiful, disappointing, hopeful is a way for us when it comes to some of these mysteries in life that none of us as finite human beings will ever be able to fully explain. Hey, here is what suffering is all about. Or fully explain, here is what death is all about. Or fully explain, this is what love is. Or fully explain, this is infinity and this is the absolute truth around infinity. No, because faith is this invitation to believe in the Christian story of Jesus in beauty, disappointment, and hope. Now, here's what Jesus actually says. And this is so boss of Jesus. I mean, this is such a boss move. Here's what he actually says for people who have been searching Whatever you've been searching for in life, whatever you've been investigating, maybe it's been through relationships that you've been searching for. This is the meaning. Maybe it's becoming a parent. This is the meaning. Maybe it's searching after that career. And yet Jesus comes on the scene, and here's what he says. Here's the boss moment. He basically says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Listen, if you've been looking, if you've been searching, if your heart has been found wanting, if you've been looking for different philosophies, different kind of measurements of what is the good life, pursuing your own happiness or whatever else it might be, here's what Jesus says. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And see, the invitation for every single one of us then is to really say to Jesus, I will take you at your word. Yes, I want to follow you, believing that you are the way, the truth, and the life. The invitation is, is, you know what, whatever has hindered your relationship with Jesus, maybe it's been hurt, maybe it has been the church, maybe it's been me, sorry. There could be so many things that hinder us from the real thing, and yet the invitation of the Christian faith is, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The question for me and you is, today, what if today was the moment where we could just cut through all the noise, all the noise of what is real and true and beautiful. And what if you, today, you could meet this Jesus? You could find the way, the truth, and the life that you've always been longing for. You've been struggling in relationships or marriage, and you realize You've been searching in all these different places. And today, what if today 
was a day you could meet Jesus. Whether it's for the first time or whether it's for the 200th time. Maybe you're single and you're in a season of wanting. Or maybe you're single and you're perfectly content. But you realize you're still searching for what is that thing that's going to give you meaning and purpose and joy and hope in life. And what if today, Jesus, the invitation is, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The invitation is here to reorient ourselves around this Jesus person. You know, one of my favorite passages is this passage where Paul, who also had this miraculous encounter with Jesus, changes his life. Paul becomes one of the most fervent, ardent followers of Jesus. And Paul is speaking to a group of people in Athens who had no background with who Jesus is or was. Jesus is basically this carpenter that people are preaching about who rose again from the dead. And when Paul is basically trying to explain, he's saying, I've noticed that each one of you, you, the way that you set up your idols and this court and the way that you talk, there's been these longings of your heart where you've been looking for something. You've been searching for what is that true north? What is eternal life? What is the meaning of life? And here's what Paul says in Athens. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. In fact, even right now, if you could just notice your own breathing, just notice it. Don't hold your breath. (laughs) Like (laughs) some of you are holding your breath. But just notice your own breathing. And here's what Paul's basically just even as you notice your own breathing, what if it was evidence that somehow the God of the universe was coming after you? Was here available for you. Wanting to speak into your life, wanting to speak into your depression right now. Want to speak into your longing. Want to speak into your, the disappointments that you've experienced in your career, in your relationships, in your parenting. And look at what Paul says. He says he marked out their appointed times in history, the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. What if the reason why God brought you here today, of all the places you could be somehow today, was so that you might be met with the news that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And whatever you're experiencing in life today, what if I were to say to you, Jesus is the answer? Jesus is what you've been searching for. And Jesus is here, ready for you. So take your anxieties about money and finances and to entrust it to him. To take some of the the pangs of loneliness that you might experience and to bring it to Jesus. To take your deepest fears, your worries and your hopes and to bring it to Jesus. What if today was that day? What if the reason why you're sitting here, you made it through the rain, was so that you could meet Jesus again?